Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Okay, so last time on the podcast we finished the book The Pesky Kids, The Mystery of the Squashed Cockroach. So today I'm going to start on the next book in the Pesky Kids series, which is The Pesky Kids, Bear in the Woods. I may have misspoken last time and said that the next book was Stuck in the Mud. It's not. It's Bear in the Woods. So that's what we're going to start reading. I get confused about the titles of my own books. I actually, in my mind, think of this one as The Pesky Kids, The Green Book, because the cover is green. Anyway, uh, what else do I need to tell you? Well, if you follow me on Instagram, you will have seen that this week I went into my publisher. I went into Penguin in Sydney. I had to go to Sydney to pick up my kids. So while I was there, I dropped by the publisher and I dropped off the proof pages for my next book that's coming out in August, which is called Astonishingly Good Stories. And Astonishingly Good Stories is the follow-up to Shockingly Good Stories, which came out last year. And both those books are collections of stories that have featured on the podcast. They'll be like the fairy tales or the Greek myths or the tall tales with Tammy. So um, that's exciting. That's coming out in August. And other news from the publishing front are because I talked to my publisher a couple of times this week and I was asking her about audiobooks because you fans at home message me and ask about the audiobooks all the time. And she said, well, we made the decision that there will be a Nanny Piggins audiobook recorded later this year. So that'll be the third book in the series because the first two are already out. So the audiobook will be Nanny Piggins and The Runaway Lion, or as I think of it, Nanny Piggins, The Yellow One. Uh, so yeah, they'll get me in to record that in September, October, and that will be out in time for the Christmas holidays, which will be perfect for anyone who wants to listen to it on a road trip. Um, I think that's about it. Next thing I've got to do is start work on Friday Barnes 11, and I can't remember what I said the title for that would be, but it's going to be set in Paris. So in my mind, that's Friday Barnes set in Paris. All right, so that's enough boring housekeeping. Let's get into the beginning of The Pesky Kids, Bear in the Woods. So today, I'm going to read to you the prologue. As Dr. Banfield slowly woke up, she knew something was wrong, even without opening her eyes. It was so quiet. The house was never quiet. If her children, Joe, Finn and April, were awake, they were always fighting. Or the dog was barking, or both. Her brain was struggling to wake up enough to make sense of it. There was a reason her children were silent. A bad reason. It had something to do with why the mattress she was lying on was so uncomfortable and why the room felt damp and cold. Then her brain remembered. She wasn't at home. She was in a prison cell somewhere in Eastern Europe. Everything had gone terribly wrong. A sick, hollow feeling of unutterable sadness swept over her. She may never hear her children squabbling again. Just then, there was an electronic buzz. The lock to her cell door clicked open and a guard entered. Dr. Bamfield didn't even bother looking up. 
The guard brought in a tray of breakfast food, as he had done every day of the weeks she'd been in there. Dr. Bamfield opened her eyes as the guard bent forward to lay the tray on the ground. He seemed like a nice young man, really. He couldn't have been much more than 27 or 28 years old. He hadn't been serving long enough to become jaded and cruel yet. It would be a shame to have to break his arm, but she was going to do it anyway. Before the tray even touched the concrete, Dr. Bamfield's hand shot out, grabbed the guard's wrist and twisted it cruelly, tearing the ligaments in his elbow and snapping his ulna, while simultaneously hooking her leg around to kick him hard in the back of the head. He was knocked out cold in less than two seconds, and the door was still unlocked. Dr. Banfield took off running. She raced down the hallway to the guard's office. There was no one in there. She used the pass she'd stolen from the guard's belt to get through the double security doors, then rushed over to the control panel and hit override to unlock the doors to the corridor. Dr. Banfield took off again, sprinting down three flights of stairs and towards the kitchens. Where there were kitchens, there was always access for delivery trucks. It was the weakest point of any prison. If she made it there, it was her best chance of getting out. Dr. Banfield pushed on, running faster. She was deceptively quick for a frumpy, middle-aged woman. She was going to make it. Only 100 metres to go. Then suddenly, she was struck by lightning. At least, that's what it felt like. A surge of electricity shot through her, and her legs buckled. She toppled forward and crumpled face down on the ground. She lay there, gasping for breath. Heavy footsteps slowly approached. A steel-capped boot was roughly wedged under her shoulder, and she was kicked over. Dr. Banfield looked up into the cruel face of the prison governor. "'You weren't thinking of leaving us, were you, Dr. Banfield?' said the governor in a thick accent. "'Not when we have so much to talk about.'" And that's the end. Okay, well, that was the prologue. It was very short, so it's cruel to leave it there. So let's get into chapter one, where we left off. As Ingrid drove them home, the pesky kids felt almost like a regular family, as regular as a family with a traumatised father and a mysteriously absent mother could feel. Even Dad had stopped manically fidgeting so much. "'I'm just glad this cockroach craziness is over,' said Finn. "'Now things can go back to normal.' "'They can't go back to normal,' snapped April, "'because nothing here ever was normal to start with. "'Everything here is weird and all the people are bonkers.' "'Yeah, but that's normal for Currawong,' said Joe. "'I'm going to have a cup of tea and spend the afternoon separating my daffodil bulbs,' said Dad. "'Vadadet!' cried Ingrid. "'They didn't have to speak Swedish to figure out what she was looking at. Up ahead, a huge cloud of black smoke billowed above the trees directly over their house. Ingrid floored the accelerator and they flew up the driveway, skidding to a halt on the gravel as they came around the last bend. Oh no, oh no, oh no, wailed Dad. The house was on fire. Flames licked out from an upstairs window. The pesky kids were horror-struck. This is a nightmare, murmured Finn. It was the second time they'd seen their home in flames in one week. Who would do this to us, asked Joe. No one had a clever reply. Ingrid leapt out of the car and sprinted up the front steps. The locked front door barely slowed her down. She kicked it open without breaking stride and disappeared into the house. Ingrid, cried Dad. He turned back to his children. I'm pretty sure that's not safe. Someone should go after her. The kids just looked at him. Dad was the adult. Sure, he was scruffy and permanently bewildered, but he was technically in charge. If anyone was going to do anything crazy heroic, it was really up to him. Then Joe had a brainwave, proving that he might be blonde and brawny, but he could have good ideas too. You're 
irrigation system, he stammered. Dad glanced at his watch. Yes, it is time to water the bulbs, but that can wait. I think we should deal with the burning house first. No, I mean we can use the irrigation system to put out the fire, said Joe. Let's do it, said April. She liked any idea that involved action. April and Joe hurried over to different flower beds and pulled up the sprinkler heads. Finn rushed to the tap and turned the water on. April had her sprinkler head facing the wrong way and she was blasted in the face by the high-pressure water. It knocked her blue cap off her head and flattened her usually chaotic curly brown hair. Pumpkin barked excitedly. He wanted to be splashed too. "'You did that on purpose!' yelled April. "'You're the one holding it,' said Finn pedantically. "'It's just an unexpected bonus for me that you're silly enough to point it at your own face.' You'd never have guessed that Finn was actually 11 months older than April because he was shorter and the way his cap fell down over his ears made him look very young. But he could be as sarcastic and insulting as someone five times his age. Joe trained his jet on the upstairs window. Hold this, said April, handing her sprinkler to Dad. He pointed it at the flames above them as April scrambled up the veranda railing and onto the corrugated iron roof awning. Pass it up, she urged. Dad handed April the sprinkler, and she was able to douse the flames up close. Suddenly, the window smashed open as a flaming computer came sailing through the air. It was quite spectacular, almost beautiful. The electronic box glided in a parabolic arc over the garden beds, flame and smoke billowing behind it. "'It's going to hit Pumpkin!' cried April. But the small dog had the good sense to bound out of the way before the flaming computer smashed into the middle of the lawn with a loud crunch. "'Wow!' said Finn." They looked up at the window. Ingrid leaned out through the blackened frame. The flames were doused, but smoke and steam continued to waft off the charred timber. Ingrid had soot on her face and arms, but she still looked like a Nordic goddess, with her long blonde hair and lean athletic physique. Eldenash Lechnu, April blasted her in the face with a sprinkler. Vodka do, exclaimed Ingrid. Sorry, said April, just making sure there weren't any embers on you. It turned out that the fire had not been that bad. When they went upstairs to look, they saw that the blaze had not spread beyond Joe's bedroom. The only thing burnt was Joe's desktop computer and the wall behind it. With the computer lying out on the lawn and the curtains taken down, most of the remaining damage was done by the water from April and Joe's over-enthusiastic efforts to control the blaze. How does a computer catch fire? asked Joe, looking around the wreck of his bedroom. If you set fire to it yourself to hide what you've got on the hard drive, accused April as she glared at Joe. I wouldn't set fire to my own bedroom, said Joe. That's just stupid. Well, you're not exactly Albert Einstein, are you, said April. It could have been an electrical malfunction, said Finn, peering at the power socket. An electricity surge or dust in the mainframe? Where did you even get a computer from anyway, asked April. I found it, said Joe. It was with the junk under my bed. I thought it'd be handy. You wanted to play computer games, didn't you, said Finn. He knew his brother well, and Joe enjoyed the mindless escapism into a digital virtual reality as much as any 16-year-old boy. To be fair, when your actual reality was as difficult as Joe's, it would be silly not to. Well, there isn't much else to do in Karawong, said Joe. Said Ingrid. Everyone turned to look at her. She does realise we don't speak Swedish, right? Said April. Ingrid was very brave, bursting into the house and throwing the computer out, said Dad. The fire could have been much worse. 
Ingrid was their next-door neighbour's au pair. Looking after the staggeringly beautiful and sociopathic Loretta Viswanathan was hard enough. Putting out fires at the neighbour's house was definitely above and beyond an au pair's normal duties. Brave or stupid, said April, turning to glare at Ingrid. Or Duma, as you say in Swedish. Ingrid looked uncomfortable. When did you learn some Swedish, asked Finn. On our first day here, said April. She called us Duma Duma Baron. Don't you remember? No, said Finn. I paid attention, said April, still glowering at Ingrid. Ingrid looked suspiciously back and forth. Thank you for your help, Ingrid, said Dad politely. Ingrid nodded. While everyone was looking at her, she held up her finger to get their attention, then pointed at something on the floor. Tita Har and Leotrod. What's she saying? asked April. Finn walked over and peered at the thing she was pointing at. It was a small, empty tin. There was so much junk cluttering the bedrooms in Dad's house, it was hard to notice any one thing in particular. But Finn could see why this small tin had caught Ingrid's interest. It's a can of lighter fluid for starting fire, said Finn, as he picked it up and looked at it. It's empty. Someone broke in and set fire to the computer, asked Joe. Why else would this be on the floor, reasoned Finn. But the front door was locked, said Dad. How did they get in? I've got a better question, said April, turning to glare at Ingrid. How did she know we should look at this tin if she can't read English? Detarin distinct looked, said Ingrid, miming sniffing and wafting a smell towards her nose. I think she's saying she could smell it, said Dad. Do you think we could fix the computer, asked Joe, peering out the window at the blackened shell steaming in the middle of the lawn. It depends, said Finn. If you want to use it as a big paperweight, then yes, I can do that. But that computer is never playing Tetris again. It was too old for Tetris, said Joe. It only had Pong. You've got to try and fix it, said April. It was on fire, then got hurled out of a second-story window and doused with water, said Finn. I'm not a miracle worker. I can take a look at it, said Dad. I know a bit about computers. Really, said Finn sceptically. It's just systems engineering, said Dad. It's all logical. Yeah, but you're not, said April. You should still try, said Finn. There might be a clue on there about why some nut bar would want to break into our house and set fire to it. We don't know any nut bars, said Joe. We know Loretta, said April. She does do odd things to entertain herself, agreed Dad. She's all right, said Joe. April rolled her eyes. You only say that because you're in love with her. Joe blushed. He was terrified of Loretta, so he hoped he wasn't in love with her. But she had kissed him on the cheek once, and that had made his lower intestines feel very peculiar. Joe and Loretta sitting in a tree, taunted April in a sing-song voice. K-I-S-S-I-N-G. That rhyme doesn't even make any sense, snapped Finn. Why would anyone climb into a tree to kiss? It can't be safe. What if you had an inner ear infection? When you close your eyes to kiss, you fall out of the tree. Now Finn was red in the face from delivering this impassioned speech. He was secretly in love with Loretta, but thankfully, due to his family's total emotional insensitivity, no one had noticed yet. Well, we just left Loretta in town, said Joe. It can't have been her. Perhaps she has an identical twin sister we don't know about, said April. She's weird enough to keep a sibling locked in the cellar. Well, I need a computer for school, said Joe. I've got an assignment on cumulus clouds. Yeah, right, said April. That's code, isn't it? 
Code? asked Dad. Why is Joe using codes? He's a teenage boy, said April. He really wants a computer so he can look at ladies. I do not, said Joe. He found women and girls terrifying, both in real life and in two-dimensional images. I have an assignment for geography. Dad reached into his pocket. You can buy a new one. He opened his wallet and took out a thick wad of notes inside. Would a thousand dollars cover it? Joe's eyes gaped. April and Finn were stunned into silence. Yeah, that ought to do it, said Joe. And we'll leave it there. Okay, that's it for now. Until next time, goodbye.